0: this is norm holly and you are listening to improv nerd that's improv bitch improv bitch
1: i mean after all you're nerds
2: improv nerds improv nerds improv Nerds. nerds
1: I'm Jimmy Corain, and this is Improv Nerd. I've worked with many directors over the years, and none is better than Norm Holly from Second City, where Norm still directs and teaches. Norm joined us for this live version of Improv Nerd, and we talked about how he says so little and gets so much out of actors when he directs and teaches, why it's okay to offend audiences, and what Andy Dick really was like before he went crazy.
0: You don't like big introductions, do you? Oh, no. You like, no. like this. key.: Well, because your introduction cannot be big enough. Pardon? It wasn't big enough. Okay. Yeah. What could I have added? Wanted, I wanted to come up and interrupt that monologue a little bit. Uh, what would you have done? Um, I would have demanded you make the sound that you made. Okay. You mean... Like, it... that's what I'm doing now. Right. Like as a director, you would have said, "Make the sound." No, out. as Norm, I, if you're going to set up the whole thing, if you're gonna set the whole thing, and say, "I scream when I orgasm," you never were screaming. You never showed people what you meant.
1: Okay, so when I do it again to scream, yeah. Okay, now I feel now I feel a little shame, like like I did something wrong. Okay, you grew up in Detroit on Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were the only white family. What
0: was it like to be the only white family? We didn't know that we were white. Are you serious? No, one, uh, of course. Well, my, it's pretty, actually it, it's pretty simple, which was my dad was an immigrant, and the place that they ended up after they were probably booted out of Vienna mm-hmm. was the rural South. And so they're a bunch of Austrians in the rural South, and they end up being cotton pickers in rural Arkansas. So wherever they lived was an entirely African American community, because that's all they knew. And so I was born there, so I didn't know that I wasn't a black child. What was your view on race with that experience? At the time? Yeah. I hadn't. I know mean, it was just black people.
1: And then as you got older?
0: Well, I was there until I was about nine years old. And then I don't remember it too well, but we moved to the south suburbs of Chicago mm-hmm. to Homewood Flossmoor. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently me and my sister, especially me, didn't, I didn't adjust very well. In what way? Well, this is a story I tell, which my mom tells. Um, she's super dead now, so she doesn't tell anyone. Um <laughs> It would be hard for her. She difference. said it was one of the most heartbreaking things is, like, in Detroit, and it's like a lower-middle-class uh, working community, every day of the summer you go out in your front lawn, and some kids pick you up, and you go to the next house, pick you up, and there's, like, 30 little black kids, me being one of them, and you just play all day. That's all you do. Um, she said she watched me for six hours stand in my front lawn and home with floss and wait for someone to pick me up and no one ever came. Because white people don't do that. White people just don't go from house to house and pick up the next little kid. So.
1: You know, you joked, we did an interview a long time ago, about mm-hmm. three years ago, and you said, I sound like an old black man on the phone. Sometimes, yeah.
0: <laughs> Is that because of growing up? No, it's destroyed vocal cords and smoking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, when I used to, even when I worked at a college when I was like in my early 20s and then I'd talk to like prospective students and their parents on the phone and they'd come into my office and be shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no I've always guy.
1: found that people from Detroit have a different view on race than people from Chicago. Do you think that's true?
0: Well, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't given the opportunity to have a view on race when I was a kid. I mean, everyone was, just, everyone was exactly the same. I just didn't know I wasn't. No one treated me like I wasn't. So as far as well, uh, my experience with the Chicago, which I call Midwestern meat anger, uh-huh. um, it, just, it seemed like initially when I came back here as an adult that everyone was much more willing to be angry about just about anything. And I wasn't used to that.
1: Um, you also describe yourself as a kid who was always in trouble. What was it, what? Give me one story where you the, the most trouble you were ever in.
0: <laughs> the most trouble in my entire life. Yeah, you'd have to categorize that as trouble at school, trouble with my parents.
1: Um, give me school and give me your parents.
0: Um, I was always in trouble in school, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna say, I guess high school or. No, I'll, I'll use a junior high one because it's weird but cuter. Um, so me and my friend discovered in our junior high a back hallway that went through the entire school, and you could literally find a place to listen into any classroom. Or we actually found a place that was the uh, um, access to the girls' shower. It was the like grading, uh, the venting for the girls' shower. And so we first saw girls showering, which was cool. And, um, then, but that was it. That wore, believe it or not, that wore off, like, pretty quick. Uh-huh. It was like, it wasn't funny, or it wasn't particularly fun. Um, so there was a day we picked to, like, take the grading off, and we were both wearing suits, and we would just casually walk through the girls' showers, whatever, showers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which <laughs> seemed real funny, but was potentially a felony. Did you get in trouble for that? Yeah. What happened? We got suspended for the rest of the school year.
1: Oh, what about with, what is the worst trouble you ever got with your parents?
0: Well, my dad was a Marine. Okay. Uh, he was a World War II Airborne Ranger, mm-hmm. a band of brothers, folks. Um, so it was easy to be in trouble with him. You just didn't know it. You just wouldn't be fed something like you'd just get, sit at the table and there'd be no food there. Um I'm trying to think of the, oh, the biggest amount of trouble I was ever in, or sh- really should have been in, was um, they were both real working class uh, people. And even though my dad was, ended up being the uh, top engineer of the entire government and uh, Corps of Engineers, uh, they were raised so poor that they always treated us like we had no money. And we believed, my, my sister and I believe, that we were the poorest people in the world. That's what we were, how we lived. Um, but, in fact, he was making really good money. He just didn't believe that somebody wasn't going to take it from him. Um, so he never had a nice car. He worked for the government, so he's had the next year's Chevy, the next year's Impala, and that was it. And there was no buying your own car. But except for one year, and I don't know what happened, he bought himself a Lincoln Continental. And uh, the second he took the train to work, I started working on my mom so I could go pick up my friends, like a freshman in high school or something. I'm just like, you have to let me take it or you don't love me. And, um, just so good old-fashioned joke. me all day, and I broke her down, and I took, up the, took out the Lincoln and then I picked up a couple of my friends. Uh, we were driving through um, a mall in Reseda, and my friend Jeff, who was eating peanuts in the front seat, rolled put down the window, threw peanut shells at striking teamsters who were driving around the lot and said, go back to work, you fucking assholes. <laughs> to which ensued, this is completely true, a high-speed car chase down a bunch of California suburban highways that ended with me trying to make a right turn at 90 miles an hour on wet pavement on a three-day-old continental, which I totaled. Uh-huh. I was in trouble for that. How many be-
1: lived? How
0: many... <laughs> what did your dad do? Um, well, I had to call him from the police station and... Uh, He said, where are you? I said, "Uh, I told your car. And there's a long pause. And he said, is everybody okay? I said, yeah. I told him what happened. I said, Teamsters were chasing us. I didn't tell him the peanuts (laughs) are He said, you should have pulled over. And like, they showed us they had guns, which they did. They wouldn't have done anything. You should have pulled over. So that was a big trouble. That was it. I think he figured the 90 mile an hour car accident was probably good enough. How did you get into acting? Um, Well, like a lot of people, I didn't like doing stuff in school. Like like
1: stuff. homework? Yeah,
0: see, really in high school I knew that you didn't have to do anything. It was Mm -hmm. like you take a test and you pass it and you'll be fine. Um, I think it was probably earlier than that, though I didn't come back to it for a long time. I had a really great teacher in seventh grade who everything I did, she absolutely loved and doted over me. So... I always kept the performance part of my, my stuff open. And then um, it was a small theater company at the time, Center Theater in Los Angeles, and I was taking classes in actually European style cabaret. and that, So that's kind of how I got into it, was doing that. was It wasn't directing through like being in plays and stuff, it was about first generating stuff in a cabaret atmosphere.
1: And then you do a show, uh, you were an actor in a production of Streamers. Mm-hmm. And you, it was directed by Terry Kinney, mm-hmm. who, if anyone doesn't know, was a founding member of Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. And how does that experience influence you as a director?
0: Oh, that, that was the best influence I had. Because everything I got to do um, as far as performing was, the, I didn't know it was at the time, but it was the luckiest thing that could ever happen to me. Because I pretty much showed up in Chicago, the show that we were touring with, uh, the, our, our production company and our theater got bought out by Universal Pictures and NBC, so everyone just dropped out wherever they were, and I'd met uh, several people from Steppenwolf in Los Angeles because they were pitching something and they came to see some cabaret show I was doing, um, so he literally just asked me to be in a Steppenwolf show, which I didn't know what that meant, so I'm like okay, I'm not doing anything, and I did, but I had also started directing some cabaret at that time, and Every, he was the best director I ever worked with, and I was real lucky to work with a lot of great Chicago directors. And again, I didn't know who they were, because I would just come into town. Um,
1: so that brings you back to Chicago,
0: streamers. Yeah. Well, okay. streamers, no, I, I dropped out of the show from our center theater in Chicago, and then literally pretty much within 24 hours, I got a call from Terry Kinney, he so said, I'm doing the show at Stepwolf, Could you, do you want a part in it? And I said, yeah, because um, I wasn't doing anything. But his way of directing... I think this is helpful and true for no matter what you're doing, especially in the arts, which is when somebody starts doing what you think is the right way to do something, it reinforces already your way of doing it, which is what he really did for me because I never wanted to talk to actors about their parts or give give a lot of direction. I thought that that seemed real selfish. I was always trying to find the one or two things that you could say that that could actually help somebody, and that's exactly how he treated me. Um, in, in a part that, you know, he made very easy for me. Because he would, his directions would be, you should probably be angrier there. You're like, oh, okay. And then I'll, I'll try being angrier. Oh, you know, that worked. And that that was everything he did. He's like, well, why do you think he's late? Oh, he was, well, whatever. And, and I, it was always the simplest direction to execute the simplest note. And so that's what, when I went, as far as my direction we went, and that's, of course, at a very young age still, it just went, Yeah, that's what I'm going to keep working on, is just look, pay attention to exactly what a performer is doing, and give them the one or two words I can say that they can actually execute right now.
1: You actually said to me that you started really to get into directing because you saw your friends misdirected. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I hated seeing my friends directed so poorly. A lot of people were really, really fine performers, and then... They'd tell me the notes they gave, or they'd come out of, and you know, probably everybody in this room has been. They'd come out of like two and a half hours of notes after a one act play, and like, why you guys just needed to go faster? You were just slow. Your cues were slow. Oh, we had to talk about all of our characters for an hour and a half, and like, that can't be helpful.
1: (laughs) Um, And then you said that Sheldon Patinkin, who was the head of the theater department Mm -hmm. at Columbia, where you were the assistant to the theater department. Uh, got you involved in improv. How did that happen?
0: Well, I had cabaret training, so what I initially did was he... I was initially a part-time teacher there, which they just fucking hired me out of nowhere, and I don't remember why, but I was i was doing something at uh, at what was Remains Theater at the time. And so um, they brought me to teach a couple of classes. I don't know how I <laughs> I was like 22. And uh, then... I had cabaret training, so he, he had, you know, I didn't know anything about Second City or Violus Voy- Spoon or any of that. So he said, Why don't you start a thing every Friday where you do cabaret shows? And, just, and I said, Okay, I'll call it Comedy Cabaret, and I'll just I'll audition, get a band of people, and start doing shows every Friday. And that's what we did. And that eventually turned into a, a class called Comedy Workshop.
1: And you worked with some great people in that, as I remember, because I was at mm-hmm. Columbia then, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, when you look back at a cert- that certain period of time, it seems silly. Um, but yeah, the. Bunch of Emmy award-winning comedians now, and Andy, like Andy Dick Andy was a Dick. Dick. Andy Dick was an original member of. And Scott Adsit who's on Thirty Rock. Scottie Dino, Dino uh, Stamato- Stamato- Stamatopoulos. Yeah. yeah, who
1: is just a great writer. Yeah, yeah was he's an
0: Emmy award-winning comedy writer, moral, oral. But writer, none of those
1: guys, none of those guys, ever registered. They would just sit in on the you know, class. No, they were
0: initially registered for the class, but then it got to the point, like four years down the line, where I realized Scott Adsit had not been registered at Columbia for three and a half years. <laughs> and that was pretty much all of them. And then they just come and just take just that class and like I don't care What was Andy Dick like back then? Andy Dick was uh, a sweetheart he was a very sweet guy um, you know he was crazy uh, but he he was incredibly easy for me to work with um, I think I scared him and that was part of it later I found out you know he could be difficult but he was a sweetheart he, and there, there was probably no one physically that was as naturally funny when he walked onto the stage at any point without dialogue everyone would start laughing
1: and Antet was just a—he was a great improviser and a great actor, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it took time, but yeah. Because I had—I studied with him at Columbia. That's mm-hmm. how I knew him yeah. with Martin Demott. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then you end up here at Second City teaching and directing, and and you've been here for decades now, right? Mm-hmm. What is the one show that you directed that you're the most proud of?
0: Well, I'm trying to think of the one I know. The ones I know are the best shows, or the ones are the ones I'm most proud of. Um, I was uh, most pr- the, the show that I know is the best show, and had things in it that I was extremely proud of. Is Baby Richards has Got back. Mm-hmm. Um But really, that's in retrospect uh, because I loved it at the time. But when you're in it, it's not my show. Uh, no show I've ever directed is my show. My, uh, the shows are the performer shows. I just try to help them with what they want to do, I pretty think. Maybe Hildreth is here and he could argue with me. Um, but um, that, that had things where now when directing students like are constantly asking me about that show, um, it's, I, I'll go back and watch some of it and just be stunned at what those guys were willing to do and that what we got away with. In terms was, of what? What did you get away with? The whole, the opener. <laughs> was? Now, this is going to sound strange to even say in front of a group of people, mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't care. Um, but the opener that ran for eight months was a fully produced P Funk number. Uh, I mean, fully produced. And we wanted, we were seeing how many times John Hildreth could call the audience niggers. <laughs> and it ended up being like 25 or 30 times. And like, that was like, so the directing student will go, What's this? How did, why did they let you do that? Why aren't you all fired? And I'm like, I don't know. I, it's, it was the uh, content of it. It was the source. You know? And all we were trying to do is wake up uh, a suburban white ETC audience. So, and John would be in full P-Funk regalia and just walk to the audience to the microphone and just sing to them that they were niggers.
2: <laughs>
0: That's the fr- we had a completely naked guy in the audience in the second act of that show. Ch- it didn't seem strange to me. It still doesn't seem strange to me. You know what I like? Because I had
1: an opportunity to work with you in God Show, which Mm -hmm. was a great experience, and it was just so much fun working with you. And Gelman was in that show, Michael Gelman, who teaches here. And Gelman Mm -hmm. hadn't taught, he he was teaching at the time. He hadn't acted, he hadn't been on the stage for 20 years. And he had the hardest time with blocking. And so you, I mean, he couldn't get... Among other things. Among other things. (laughs) But the major thing, he, he couldn't come up with blocking. Right. And
0: you came up with a brilliant solution. Can you tell us what you did? <laughs> this is so dumb. Um, so, and this is probably what I got the most compliments about on that entire show, which was um, trying to get, and I love the man, trying to get Michael Gelman to respond to a cue uh, was impossible. Um, and, you know, who knows what's going on in his brain. Uh, nothing that's listening for y- your cue. And um, <laughs> so I remember it's was like, okay, Michael, that's your cue. What? come on stage right now oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry no don't no don't say sorry well you were there and he'd go on over and like like okay that was your cue michael Oh, oh i'm sorry no don't come on now let's just say your cue again and he couldn't do it and it was like his first entrance so you're like he can't make his first entrance he can't do it so i made him think that i thought it'd be really cool if we put a table on stage he couldn't really do object work either. So I put an actual phone on it and an actual newspaper and an ashtray where he'd actually smoke while he was on stage. And that was just his area of the stage, which he never left. Um, but... <laughs> so he had no entrances or exits. <laughs> he would just slowly ghost the light up on him, and Then he'd figure out he was supposed to talk. <laughs> and, um, but what's great about it is... To a, every review and so many, the best compliments I ever got were people going, "God, that was brilliant!" Like how you left his dad on stage the whole time, and when he died, you just faded the lights out on him. Like, <laughs> that was brilliant. Like, yeah, that was fucking brilliant.
1: <laughs> but I want to say the genius behind that, okay, is you didn't fight. You didn't get in a power struggle because if it was me, I'd say Gelman. You, you learn your cues i be you know you you said this is what i got and this is what i i am i'm, I'm going to work with and you said to me and i don't i'd be interested you said jimmy don't worry about it just improvise your lines do you remember this yeah sure where did that
0: come from cuz you were better improvising your lines when you knew what the goal of that scene was supposed to be
1: right versus Learning the lines and Or acting.
0: having or ever ever making a mistake of hey even though Tim wrote a really nice outline for that show originally is like there's nothing there's no bigger mistake to me when you have talented improvisers at any level. Um, especially scenic improvisers saying, Go write this as opposed to saying, No, just you know what the scene is supposed to be, this is what your character is supposed to you just improvise it. And that's what the nature of this building is in general, I hope, still, which is you re improvise it till it's where you want it to be. You know. So Certainly, people in that show, a lot of people were comfortable learning their lines, but I mean, we, if you remember, we opened that whole show up to, you know, f- to improvise every scene. But certainly, as far as you go, mm-hmm. because of your issues, I said, <laughs> Which is um, many. Yeah. <laughs> I said, You're way better off. Well, I'm not, I'm, I can't help you with that. I mean, you're a great improviser, and you're a, a wonderful character improviser, so you, as long as you have the character that I think works in that scene, you know what the scene is about. I don't. I don't need to tell you more than that.
1: You also um, told me don't worry about object work. I just want you to sit at the I piano. Hate, I hate Why do you work. hate object work so much? Because people.
0: Because it's fucking pointless. <laughs> it's stupid. In,
1: okay. In what way? What, what, um, how do you see it pointless?
0: I, I see it pointless if it's not character oriented. Like I, I run. I do object work exercises, but they're all based on what a character would have. You know. Um, or something that doesn't help you to de- help you with the development of a character is stupid. So, and I understand how valuable it is at a you know beginning or middle level of improv, but I don't teach that. So if you come to me and you can look like you're holding a cup, put the fucking cup down. I'm not holding a cup right now. We're talking. I'm not milking a fucking cow either, and we're just talking. Um, but it's like people know. I mean, and all these guys who are like scenic improvisers who have done it know it. There's a point where you need to be released of all that beginning-level training if you want to be a scenic improviser. So every time I start a scene, I'm not washing dishes or shooting pool before I decide how I feel about my environment and about the people in my environment so I can immediately start changing how I feel about those things. That's what I'm looking to do. So if I'm already doing fucking dishes, you know, because it's object work, then that's dumb. And I, watched, I watch it ruin scene after ruin scene after ruin scene. Because somebody sat in front of the students at some point going, That doesn't look like a coffee cup. Is it half full? You know, my coffee <laughs> cup feels the fucking same. You know, I can't really tell that. And if I was paying attention to that, you know, I probably am not paying attention to anybody who happens to be in the room with me or an environment that might be more important than that. You know, and, well, but when you do teach students that, they get it. They get it right away. Like, quit fucking doing dishes. Or get angry with the person you're on stage with and then do dishes angrily so it means something. You know, you I'm will, real mad about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you also
1: say that there's no a, a, a successful class is one that it feels like a party. Yeah. How, like, uh, how how do you because knowing your demeanor, knowing your personality, knowing you for a long time, mm-hmm. how do you how do you get that out of the studio? No, you
0: don't think I seem like a party? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm a, I'm a raging party. Uh-huh. Um, well, first. Um, you know you make sure this it's not hard you make sure that you know the student you're you're there for the students i'm there for their information i'm there to find out what they already know so that i can help them with skills that they need to apply but at the same time letting them know they're already interesting maybe they're already smart well most people are and they're and they're already smart they already know a million things i don't know and that i need to find that out first and then the, the only other thing you really need, and my, I'm talking about conservatory level students too, because, you know. Here at Second City. Yeah, I've been, I've been in. I've said, done a. try to do a B or an E class, and I can't, because they're stupid. And I that's, the, that's yeah. the beginning level. You, yeah. you have no well, interest in that. I, it's not that I don't have interest in them. I, went, I would go down and go, i got to teach a level D class or something so I know what's coming to me, but it, you can't. That's like saying, this fucking hurricane, dumb hurricane's coming my way. You can't duck it. You just have to deal with it, it gets to you. Um, but, um, yeah, they'll, 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 and the most important thing is, especially, I think all students, but certainly conservatory level students here, they know when you're wasting their time. And you, they, they can tell when you're doing exercises that are geared for them specifically and the exercises that go together so they accomplish something. So, soon as that happens, like class one, if you when you're evaluating, um, when I'm evaluating the students in my class, I can immediately tell some things that they need help with. And I'll put a series of exercises together so I don't have to talk very much. But they'll start getting, they'll achieve success at things almost immediately. And then it's a party for them. And that's it. It's not, it's not me, because I'm certainly not very dynamic. Um, but it's not about me throwing them a party. It's about me being able to create an environment where they, they're having fun all the time. Then it's just a party they get to go to. And you
1: know what's interesting, because I've said in many of your classes, is you will be in the back, and you'll be writing in a notebook. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be a time, you'll talk, and it's very not much words being said. What are you writing so
0: feverishly in that notebook? Wouldn't you like to know? Yes. (laughs) It's mostly tiny pictures of dicks. (laughs) Your dick. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I don't understand. I know people have different methods. I'm taking a note on every single thing I see. Everything everything I see a student do, every exercise I see somebody do, it'll be a tiny little note about somebody doing one thing. I'll keep track of a series of exercises where I'll be writing down what I think they need to do next. Sometimes they'll just knock that down and be the next thing to do. I'll cross that off. And I, I don't know how many, uh, probably people are much smarter than me, don't have to do that. But I review every note from every class before I teach the next class. That's what I do. I sit down. So, and it's not that difficult until you get to like week eight and then it takes me like an hour to go over every note from each class. But I don't want to ever re- repeat something they don't need to hear again. Uh, I, I need to know exactly. I, I need to feel like I know exactly what they need to do next in order to get better. And that's for the one reason because I need them to entertain me. <laughs> and that's why you do it. I don't. I'm not here to like, you know, create a, a sweatshop of people who think they got better and think I helped them because I tortured them, because um, I know that's the way to get blowjobs. That's why I, what I call that. There's nothing worse than teachers like you suck. You know what's terrible about you. Everything, but I can help you. That's just somebody who wants a bunch of blowjobs. Um, they should, you. They should be being, feeling better and better and better about themselves. So my job gets easier and easier, and everything I give them gets easier, and easier, without me having to over-explain it, so that they can entertain me.
1: What do you say? What do you think is going on in the student's head? And and it's something as a teacher that I'm conscious of, and and you've helped me out about this. Is you know saying less really. Mm. When a teacher goes on and it happens here, it happens at I.O., it happens at the Annoyance, it happens everywhere, where the teacher is just lecturing on for 20, 25 minutes or is going into big sort of theories, what do you imagine is going on to that improviser's head, that student that is listening? What
0: What do I think they're thinking? Yes. I think there's two of them who are fucking stupid who think it's great. Two that they yeah two think it's really great okay and and they're going to think that's the best thing ever and the rest of them just want to blow their fucking brains out and they're the ones who email me and I appreciate it they'll email me and usually what's great about Um, is well you know it's students will email me from anywhere in the city about something that they hated which I appreciate go ahead Um, but especially here they tend to be really nice about it they'll be furious about having their time wasted, but they'll still be really concise and apologetic about it. They'll say, I know I should be learning something from this, but I got to tell you, I don't think I am. Maybe you can help me figure out what I did. And I'll say, no, you, what could you have learned? I'll make sure he shuts up. <laughs> and I try and that's what I do. Well, I you know. think
1: honestly here at Second City, a lot of people go, well, it's Second City. I don't, you know,
0: they, they know better than I do. Don't you think? Not conservatory students. I mean, some of them will suck it up. They might suck it up longer than they should, but no, no. The second, the second they feel like their time is being wasted, they They'll they let you know. It. Yeah, almost always. And because I tell them to, I tell them to at orientation. I tell them to in every class. Is like, don't hesitate. There's nothing. There's no problem you can have that I, I can't do something about. You know, as long as it's not a personal problem. And then I <laughs> probably can still fix it. You helped me them. a couple
1: times I'm on the sure, personal I'm stuff. sure. Um, we're going to improvise now, and I want to okay. bring up John Hildreth. Yeah.
2: What a yeah, right
0: right <laughs> <laughs> he here? He's here, yeah. Okay, here we come. This is a man I've directed and Almost Murdered.
1: Great. So <laughs> let's get John a cheer really quickly. <laughs> so and... Was was that the story that Norm talked about, the opening and stuff? Um, Which story
3: now? The one, the The, ETC. The nigger story. Oh, it's most absolutely true. Um, And I know that he's teaching in the, the comedy studies here, and he's showing that scene, I'm like, I want to go and destroy all the surviving tapes of that show. Um, but they're like, I can't believe you did that, I can't, blah, 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 blah. That's the most brilliant show, I'm like, wow. Because all I can remember is like doing it and feeling like the audience hated it <laughs> yeah. and hated me. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember, is Kind like, of. ooh, they hate me.
1: <laughs> because I did in God's Show. Remember, I had to say the N word. I had to play a black character, and I just left going, "Everyone's going to think I'm a racist."
3: You're <laughs> Martin in that show. impersonation Yeah, thank hilarious. you. Hilarious. Yes, thanks, Awesome. Thank
0: but you. The, I didn't hate you, John. No, were, but the whole idea was to make them unbelievably uncomfortable, that, and that, that certainly. That were you uncomfortable that.
1: before you put the, put that up?
3: Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I... It wasn't my favorite show opener. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, in another show that Norm directed um, at Northwest. But, yeah, I look back and I do say, like, wow, I can't believe... Like, he's right, I can't believe they let us get away with all that stuff. Especially in, in a lot
0: of stuff, but in that show it was particularly... Because that was a cast... For the most part, like, John and I had done several shows together already, but, and Aaron Rhodes was re- going to go. Right. So it really was, these guys were like, eh, everything's out the window. Let, and and the, we broke the whole stage down. The stage—it was yeah. a collapsible back wall. The stage, like, let's just tear the whole theater apart because you know why not? Could you do an opener like that today? Are you kidding me? Uh, okay. They, if, if if they hear this, I'm, we're gonna all be in trouble. Okay. <laughs> so they're like, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna get lectured by, about it. Okay. You
1: know. So we're all not gonna get our twenty-five dollars Christmas bonus.
0: Mine's way more. Than <laughs> oh, it is. Okay. Good. Okay.
1: So let's—we're gonna improvise the three of us. Um, so. Uh, Do do, we're just gonna do scenes? Are we all comfortable with that? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Great. All right, let's go, (laughs) Carrie. Don't forget the honey, Carl. I forgot the honey. What? The f-
3: yeah, I forgot the butter and I forgot the honey. <laughs> and we're already out of milk. <laughs> uh, Carl! Uh, uh, a- <laughs> uh, and hey guys, uh, I brought jam. Hey, where's the biscuits at? <laughs> uh, right now they're what we call thought biscuits. <laughs> they just They're like up here Close your eyes You get all the biscuits you want <laughs>
0: That sounds dumb
3: <laughs> Well it's dumb I'm dumb I forgot uh, Well we ran out of milk I forgot the honey And um, Yeah We got the wrong kind of flour So we don't have the things to even make No we don't It's my bad Mostly my bad well, you can put jam on almost anything. Well, we don't have anything
1: to put anything on. We
3: you can anything. Here's a kitchen. We gotta have something. Uh, I'll tell you what we do have we've got an antique jam spoon. Uh,
0: wait, let's get, it. <laughs> get the spoon so I can spoon it right on your biscuit head. <laughs>
2: there
0: it is. <laughs> oh, that's not so satisfying. Oh
3: when it tasted really good in the middle of a biscuit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh hey,
3: excuse me. Yes, I'm sorry. Bob? Could I see you? Yeah. Just Uh, one second? Sure. Yeah. In your makeshift office here. Yes, Larry. Yeah. Did I see both mouths? Sure. Oh, I'm sorry, are you office? calling them
0: into your office? I'm calling them to my office. Oh, yeah, sure. why don't you sit the fuck down? Uh, shit <laughs> the fuck down. Sit fuck down. Who's got the numbers from last night? I got them right here. Alright. I was just, just gonna to... They're right on the computer there. I'm putting this chair in case I'm gonna sit down if I'm satisfied. Right. Uh <laughs> right.
3: I'm really happy with those numbers. Okay. I have 20. Uh
1: we are up ten percent from last month
0: is the 10% accurate, actual number value of your group. Tell them that number. That number is eight. <laughs> Let's open up the uh, computer. Program. Sure.
1: Just, uh, get this going. Okay, great. There it is, right there. That's an eight. It's an eight. <laughs> what is it in reference to? The eight. The eight. Uh, you see the font that I have. It's a 12-inch it's it's font. It's, a, it's called Columbia. Is the uh, is the font right? Yeah. What other
0: numbers has the eight been derived from? Uh, four goes into it. Two goes into it. <laughs> this sounded good. I wasn't expecting it. Um,
3: and he sits. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to text you and stuff. Yeah, I got them. I just didn't respond because it was too sad. (laughs) Why do you think that a Mexican restaurant always is a good place for a wedding?
1: Because you don't, you you don't want to, you don't want
0: to, you don't want to, you just want to start simple, you know. What's wrong with sushi, then? Sushi. uh, I think you feel like it makes you seem exciting. A Mexican. Restaurant.
1: It does exactly.
0: Because Italian seems too romantic. That seems does, too right. Good. Right. That's it's, why that's a good place to have yeah, first date. Yeah.
1: Because I, you say, hey, you know, order whatever you want off the menu. I'm going to order a combo platter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, how mm-hmm. about some margaritas? How about some flan?
0: That sounds exciting. See, I'm already bored, and I'm not even your date. That's, 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 <laughs> <too much laughs> that's way too
3: much thinking. Uh, would you like to uh, place an order? Sure. No, just keep it. Is this uh, who you were waiting? This. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, drinks from on the back. The um,
0: we'll have, of The
3: menu. We have. I'm straight fucking
0: murder are you right now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, no.
0: Do you know this waiter? Is this like a regular waiter? Yeah. I mean, is I, this, this is I,
1: all my dates. Yeah. I always have it at this restaurant. Yeah. Um It's Nick. All right, Nick. Why don't you
0: knock off the?
3: Okay. I'm not even gonna ask your name because uh, it's Bob. i to see is, you again. His name is Bob. Oh, 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 I, is I, this I,
0: really I, your friend?
3: Yeah, it's my friend. Sure. Would you like a drink? I. You Bob. know what I. You
1: know. Bob? He's asking you.
0: Is that your real What's the so fucking fucking about me? Okay, Bob. Bob. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> hey, so you just you walked over and you started laughing at me. I'm trying to help my friend out He can't get a, a blind date to show up. Okay. Which is weird. It's Because weird. at some point they agreed to show up. <laughs>
2: Earlier,
0: so what's so something? fucking funny about me? Okay. Um, I have a date. Bob, just okay. chill out. Come on.
3: You are, like, making yourself funny <laughs> by, being, by, like, being angry at <laughs> you know? how I'm just laughing. But you came over and started laughing. <laughs> I had to come over
2: So what was I like doing you, you were
1: over there yeah. that was yeah. fun? Because you're, it's, it's ridiculous, Bob. You're making <laughs> a big deal. out of it. <laughs> No, that is exactly exact how
3: did I started. Stop
0: talking, I'll stop laughing. I'll have. Uh, what's in a whiskey sour? <sighs> whiskey? <laughs>
1: oh, oh, Nick, I'll have the combo platter okay. and uh, two, two margaritas. Two. And, two margaritas. And a flan, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I'll get the flan for you to last, just like you like it. Thanks. Look, I'm uh, not done with you. I'm from Lansing, Michigan. You know what that's like up there? Um, It's pretty fucking rough, right? (laughs) You know what university is there? Eastern? No. No. Michigan fucking State University. Michigan State? Yeah, that That, is. That's in East Lansing, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to know that. I got to go. Okay.
3: cause
1: yeah I feel the same way I don't want to ever forget it you know yeah yeah um mm.
3: yeah how long did you have a kid um <laughs> I had it for uh like eight-ish years but you know who knows All how old it uh, was You know dogs When a dog dies A dog will take itself like yeah. Out of the yard like somewhere <laughs> Yeah. <it's, a> dog <laughs> knows it's going to die <laughs> and It'll walk somewhere no one's going to find it You know A cat has to be like Hey a corpse it's me
1: <laughs> You know what this is Nate this is a fuck you death yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, a fucking, yeah.
3: Yeah. it's a the double finger. Well, my kid... Oh, fuck, I just bought a bag of food. I just bought a brand and new kid, fucking bag of food. You got the receipt? Uh, well, you know, I dipped into it a little bit. I where's your cat? Oh, fuck. fuck. <laughs> Shit! Shit! You're gonna tell him. I'll tell him. Dad, I can't find...
1: you know what (laughs) that cat's not dead he's He's just taking a nap he's taking a nap (laughs) Let's talk about it. Uh, how do you think we did?
0: Okay. All right. I, I don't know. I don't know value of okay. that stuff. John,
3: uh, I was trying not to put so much emphasis on uh, space object work. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: when I went over to the computer, I'm like, oh my god, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too into it. <laughs>
0: I don't remember anything. This is my fourth time. I don't remember anything that happened. Uh I'm not kidding. I don't. Like Somebody will say, remember you did this? And I'll say, okay, I kind of remember that. Well, what
1: was the first scene we did? Do you remember? It was Uh the... Biscuit thing. The biscuit thing. Okay. What do we think about that? I was pretty great. Yeah, I thought you were really (laughs) good. I was a little nervous. It took me a couple scenes to get into the groove with with everybody. Mm. Did you guys... I was having fun. You're always mm-hmm. having fun. Really? And the thing I love about your work is you always bring an emotional level to it. You know? Oh.
3: Now I'm going to be very uh, self conscious about that. Yeah. <laughs> you, nice
1: you know what? I will not give you any more compliments. Okay. If that, if they, I don't want to get you in your head. Um, we're going to take some questions from the audience about what we just did or if they have questions for you guys. Mm-hmm. All right? Great. Great. All right, let's uh, turn the lights up, Carrie. Thanks. Uh, we've got some time for some questions, so uh, for either Norm or John. <laughs> yes? This question for
3: Norm. Talk about the director for a second there. You always analyze stuff in scenes and talk about really clever things inside of a scene that most people would not normally come up with. How do you do that?
0: I'm just smarter than everybody. Um, how do I give a scene a note that's helpful to it? Uh, I think it's kind of what I, you know, I, I'm glad you think that's true. Um, I hope, hopefully, it is most of the time. Uh, it's, I think I might have been talking to Jimmy about it earlier. I'm just looking for the thing that you're doing that I can help you with. And usually, like any performer, every perform- improviser needs help. And I'm looking for the simplest way so you can be doing a scene that you know is about a million different things. I'm looking for the one thing that I think is will is your idea that will be helpful to you. I'm always just looking for one thing would work
1: and you said two to me once a long time ago there's no bad scenes is this true there's no bad there's no bad idea scenes that you can make it work
0: no you can make it I feel like I can make anything work but something that works doesn't mean that it's good
1: okay do you, do you can you think of like something where it was it got into a show or a review here that was not a good idea that eventually became something great
0: uh, pencil. Tell us John about pencil. Uh, pencil was probably the longest generation of something it ever took to get good, which it literally started out. John had to witness it, and it was a war. It was pretty fucking awesome, um, where this it was started with Scott Adsit and Aaron Rhodes, and I kind of made them do this thing. I, I don't. Even, they were doing the rehearsal, and all it was was kind of borrow your pencil. No, I broke it off my pee hole, and I'm like, <laughs> some about. That. I'm like, that sounds kind of funny, but I think there's more there. And so I kept working on it and working on it, and they would, it got to the point where um, they would be waiting for me backstage, like, we're not doing that scene tonight, because it turned into much a much longer scene. And
1: I'm you'd like, make him just go put it like, up in a yes, set? Yes, you
0: are. No, I didn't do it in the show. You had him do it in the show? You can ask John about things that I'd make him do in the show that were unbelievable. That were half-baked? Not even. Okay. Yeah. And, and so they kept doing so it? That was the weirdest. John had a good, because he was there to have an outside eye at that, too, is... Um, it ended up being what I think is still maybe the best two-person scene in the history of this building. It's brilliant. It's not me. It, it and just was that. tell people
1: who have not, never seen it what the scene's about. What is it about? John.
3: Two-person scene, I'm just going to say plus Zulwick, mm-hmm. So Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's... Oh, I, I'm not... Uh, let me see. Okay.
0: But we're trying to do also a scene, on. and it, it still it. holds true today, where... Um, it's, it was about a guy who seemed to be very homophobic, who thought the guy who worked next to him in the office had a crush on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. Uh, And So it kept taking so long, it ends up being about a five-minute monologue by Azit's character about what he thinks a great gay life would be if only he were gay, because he's sure the other guy who works in the office is and has a crush on him. He wishes he was gay, which is said over and over in the monologue. Um, but the trick of it was, and we'd get huge laughs, and people would also get very angry about it, and we kept tweaking it and tweaking it, because we didn't want anybody to be gay or have to be gay or anybody to ever know if anybody. The scene was not, a, and we didn't want the scene to end up being whether someone was gay or not, because we know we can get a laugh, huge laughs, at any point where we'd say, oh, he's gay, or maybe he's gay. Or, Guess what? If you're homophobic, that means you're gay. Um, but we just wanted to try not to do any of those things. And so we were successful in it. Um, and, it, and eventually, it took about three months to get that scene to work so that they wouldn't f- demand not to do it. But still, there was a moment in it. There were lots of moments, especially male members of the audience, would didn't get why they didn't get to laugh at the faggot. Like, okay, he, now he's the gay one. I'm ready to laugh. <laughs> and we would, they didn't do it. We wouldn't do it. And it got to the point where Scott had a really long, very sad pause... And during that pause, so many horrifying gay references were streamed out that we kept a list out of them on the wall. And it would be like, they couldn't take it. They didn't not like the scene, but it would be like, fuck you, faggot! You know, during a really long pause. And we just kept like an alpha list of like 30 horrifying oh things. Um, but again, and then it, it, you know, it wasn't like even that guy wasn't didn't not like the scene. He just couldn't believe we weren't paying him off. So I think that, as far as something that took a long time to get to the right places. There's a lot of stuff, but unbelievably satisfying.
1: Great, let's get a couple more questions. Yeah?
0: Norm, when you're part of a cast and you're standing to the side watching scene unfold, is it difficult to separate your director brain
3: from your performer brain?
0: No, I mean, A, I'm not part of any cast, I'm not an improviser, so it's easy for me. Um, no, I, I'm not thinking anything other than I'm just listening to what they're doing and seeing if they might need some, some, some entrance or something. That's all I'm doing. And I'm having fun. Because, so you know, I've known these guys forever. I've only improvised with people I've known for over 20 years. That's your policy? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. my policy.
1: Uh, yeah. A couple more questions? Yeah. This
3: is for the both of you guys. Uh, for teaching conservatory, do you have a level that you prefer
1: to teach one than another level, or do you have a favorite? Why? Here at the conservatory, what's your favorite level to teach? John?
3: I would say uh, level one and level two might be my favorites. Just reviewing the basics and uh, getting them, you know, from people that kind of might not really, almost not really know each other, to people that know each other really well or connected online in an ensemble, um, and uh, prepare them for their audition. I think that's what I like doing.
0: I I don't have a level. I like every class that's great like your class. But I'd say the one that I make sure that I look out for most is styles and forms, which is theater style, theatrical styles and forms and film styles and forms. Because that's the one that a lot of instructors want to feel like they're good at and they're usually not. So uh, that's the one I'll make sure that I'm I'm taking care of people on. But other than that, they're all fun to me. Have you ever gotten a bad class? Yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and
0: how do how do you get through the eight weeks? How do I get? Uh, I gotta make them not a bad class. That's my job. And, They're not bad people, but they can come into me a fucking shit mess, and that happens, <laughs> you know. And that's not it's not their fault, you know. And it doesn't even mean it's the teacher before that they had before's fault. Or it probably is in some way. They could just have not. They could actually have learned a lot from a teacher, but it fucked their performing all up. That can happen a lot. That. that I, my job is to fix them. That's my job. So
1: Because when I was here in teaching, there'd be like a known class, like uh, they're a bad bunch of people. They're really arrogant or
0: they,
2: <laughs>
1: you
0: know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I call that talented people. <laughs> Those are you, the people, and that's and been through the, my history here too, of um, of when I used to go in and punch up touring companies all the time or a class or whatever, and they'd go, these people are a fucking nightmare. They're <laughs> terrible. And the, my favorite one was, um, Beth bringing me in to check Beth Klagerman, yeah. who's the like, producer. I need you to take over this drink for two months. They, we're going to fire them all.
1: Uh, Anna McKay. Who goes on to direct Anchorman uh-huh. and, and Tales of Eganites. Uh, Brian
0: Stack. Who's, who's writing for Conan. Conan. Uh, Horatio Sands. Who was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And like, there and a couple other people. Was oh, Neil and, Flynn I, in that? No, Neil Flynn was around. Yeah. It was somebody else who was great. And like, I literally walked through the room and like, oh, these are just the six funniest people I've ever met. In my life, that's who they are. How, how do you have that attitude, honestly? Because they were.
1: No, but I mean, just in general. What do you mean? Well, just in general, that you look and you don't blame the students.
0: They're not to blame for anything. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, you, they're, they're not. Why would they, they're not to blame for anything. You know, and, and let, let's say. Some red herring happens. Somebody will say, "Oh, this person should have never made it through two auditions." Well, that's probably not true, you know. So uh, there's, there's not. I mean, there's, there's, there's bad students. uh, Bad students are people who come late, um, who don't take directions, and then I just don't let them be students any longer. Unprofessionalism is bad students. Everything else is fixable. You know, that's fixable but I don't spend time if, they can, if you can't show up on time or you're a fucking douchebag and you're gone
1: you said something which is interesting you said to me the thing that you love about teaching is learning from everybody yeah. now teachers we all say oh we, we learn from our students how do you learn from your students um,
0: I start every class by making them tell me things about themselves every class it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and what's funny is like I'll always break the ice on certain things and I'll say something and they'll go, that's really weird. I'm like, you guys have any idea what you've been saying for 15 minutes? <laughs> like, give I'm me like, an example. Of, of what they'll say? What, what they'll say from? and then what you will say. Oh, well, I'll, g- I'll just give an example. I'll give an example of something like, where I, something amazingly stupid I did in front of a group of people, which is in high school. I got to play on the basketball team. I was a much better football player, but our basketball team was so bad, I actually got to play almost every fourth quarter. And so all my friends would scream, shoot, shoot, whenever I touch the ball. And they would, because um, we were so bad. And I shot a three-point shot that felt perfect, and it hit an old lady in the first row. It, didn't, it, didn't, it, didn't t- it went over the backboard. And all I, to this day, I like, I still feel like, that felt perfect when I released it. I actually hit an old lady, and her popcorn exploded everywhere. But then somebody tell told me, oh, I felt stupid. Like, like we, oh, we fell down the side of the Grand Canyon, like a... Not at such a steep slope in our car. Our car flipped over like four times, and nobody was hurt. And then, the, 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 my story, they'll go, "That's crazy." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> you survived the Grand Canyon fall?" But, but they'll all have something like that are, that's like really you know, like unbelievably interesting.
1: So, what in terms of teaching is is that helping them having them with? Um,
0: they're without being without right, you know, being. Painful about the death of their anything in a fun environment. They're releasing information that I'm pumping them for that I know will be useful for them to be able to use with each other when they improvise together, and they'll generate material. And they they just have fun because all of it shocking from the littlest thing to you know sometimes the most ridiculous thing. And then as soon as they're improvising immediately after that, I just say use everything you set up, and everything is so great they'll never be able to use it up. So they'll they'll have a constant you know stream of unbelievably interesting things to use. That's John, about them.
1: John, you've worked with, with Norm in a couple of shows. What makes him such a great director?
2: Or, or uh,
3: not. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, no. Norm is great. Um, yeah, it's just how, how he can say something really, really simple and really, really quickly that uh, will help you create the scene.
1: Um, Do you have any example of yeah, what, what's them? proof of that? <laughs>
0: Prove it. it, John.
3: I remember this. There's a scene in uh, the second show we did out at Northwest, and
1: uh, and for people, Northwest was uh, it was out in rolling. Metal. Oh, it was awesome. It was in Arlington Heights, so a suburb great. of Chicago.
3: Yeah. Anyway, it turns out those were the good old days. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> That's how it turns out, uh, but uh, I was doing the scene. Uh, with a dude named John Tees And I just remember Norm's note to us before we did it. So I was like, you guys know what you're doing, right? And we're like, okay, we do. And that was the note, that <laughs> was it. You guys know what you're doing. And I was like, wow, he really trusts us. Um, he trusts us to, to put this scene together. Stuff goes uh, used to go into shows early with Norm. You'd see it in rehearsal. And then next thing you know, it'd be snuck into an actual show. And we're like, this thing doesn't even have it out yet. What are we doing with this in the show? And he's like, that's what you're doing, right? I'm like, okay, yeah,
1: we do. <laughs> um, what was your, what was your theory about putting a show a, a scene in that was half baked or not even baked at
0: all? Well, because I like, what's the point of doing it in the improv set when people are even more drunk? And I know, I know, <laughs> but I mean, I was like. I, I didn't understand how this place operated, honestly. I mean, I didn't understand Th- that. I mean, I slowly, evil people were pounding it into my head of that what I was doing was wrong. Um, but I'm like, well, you give me these guys to work with, and I'm going to eight weeks, and my show's including previews, made. we're done. Uh, so I didn't see the point of the improv set as much of anything. Maybe some music we tried in there, or something that was like really complicated. We tried an improv set, think, Otherwise, I'm like, why just put in the show? Because then it's in front of a real audience, and I'll be able to get better notes on it sooner. Um, but I didn't know that's not how it worked, is that they wanted to feel like they're paying you by the hour. You know, and I'm not even kidding about that. It's like, you're done? And you're, you're done? You know, I'm not sure it's Andrew. You know, but not just to other people, like, what, what do you mean you're in previews? I'm like, I, I, we rehearse, you know, five days a week, almost three hours a day, which is slave labor. <laughs> but I, I like to work really fast, and they'd be like, um, you can't be ready. I'm like, well, look at the show. If we're not ready, then give me some notes, and I'll, I'll argue with you. But and, but it was always like we were in trouble, because we were always, like, done, and that's probably, I didn't see a point of wasting How quickly time.
1: could you throw up a show, realistically? With a resident company?
0: Yes. Uh, if I rehearsed which is exhausting like more than three hours a day um, I, uh, two weeks I could put I up an hour and a half show no problem do you months. think you
1: could do it mm-hmm.
0: yeah why, why, why would I waste anybody's time for the, improv- people, the people of this talent level it's like I can write, we can write a whole show in six hours we write the whole show and I can tweak it and add, t- add and take away stuff for the next seven days and preview it And how
1: good of a show would it be it would be fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of improvisers listen to this, this this podcast. You hope. I hope. Yes, I do.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, in the improv community, four is a lot of people. Just yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the most important thing in a scene? If you had to boil it down to one thing,
0: character. Okay. Characters. Period. There. And when you mean
1: characters, you mean?
0: I mean the characters that uh, improvisers are playing. Like, uh, and I, also, I say it all the time, and. It, Certainly, probably said it to John and directing him somewhere or another. Is blackouts are not about characters; they're about exposition. Songs may not be so much about characters, depending on the style of song. Everything else is only character-driven. Otherwise, what's the point? The improvisers here, especially scenic improvisers, are actors. My job is to direct actors, and along with directing actors, hopefully, it's coming up with scenic material. If not, if, if I'm not helping them develop characters that are interested in that scene, and that's what drives the scene, then it's. This is another example of, it may work, but it won't be good, you know? And, that, and then an actor knows whether they're good in a scene or not. And you've been in plenty of stuff like that, where you're like, I know this works, it's fine to get the laughs, but I don't feel particularly good about it, as opposed to you getting to be in a scene where you know, I'm, I know I'm good in this, you know? And that's far more important
1: to F- me. Favorite scene that Norm directed you in?
3: Oh, Um, well, he's right. Pencil is probably the most brilliant scene ever. Uh, Second City, uh, and I wasn't in that. Although I get, to, I got to be ads it like twice, yeah. and uh, i understudied that. Oh man, that um, I was in. Oh, dude. Uh, I don't know. Could tree, be tree, tree house. Tree house.
0: Could be uh, uh, the uh, no. retard demon Oh my
3: god! We called that tar, didn't we? Yeah, because yeah. she was retarded. <laughs> <Tard>. <laughs> was that was in that same show, wasn't it? In, wasn't
0: it? Wasn't Baby Richard? Right? Yeah, yeah. You, you,
1: yeah. Know,
0: you know what's cool. interesting about it? He, he was amazing in it. And the unbelievably challenging scene, like pencil, was great, but Treehouse was far more. Challenging. What makes John so good? Um,
1: <laughs> John does not well, like con. Conv- I always
0: say John is my improv hero. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing he won't do. There's nothing he won't do. Uh, I did almost kill him. Um, what do you mean? In the scene tree house, which was unbelievable. The content of that, and they tried it a couple other places too. People would love that. Um, it, the The premise was that John was the adorable little black adopt a foster child of this elderly white couple, and in this case it was only the dad. And so we had built up the back of the uh, theater um, to look a little bit like a treehouse, and that's primarily where the scene would take place with John running around, this really great kid character in the treehouse. And then we had a zip line that went from the back of the theater over the audience, which uh, under the stage, which was supposed to be the back porch of the house. And there were no jokes in that scene, but it was really funny, and they were like, zero jokes and it was just the day that John's character knew that he was being adopted by an African American family and he didn't want to leave his, his foster family um, and it, the content of that scene was unbelievably challenging Uh, But one day when he was going down the zip line, it broke. And he fell about 25 feet flat under his back, luckily into a tiny aisle in the theater because Northwest was as jammed as the resident companies. Mm -hmm. He could have easily landed on people and snapped somebody's neck. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he didn't. He was just unconscious on the floor of the theater. Um, so an ambulance had to come during the show to get him.
3: And John Bill, I'll never forget this. Sorry to interrupt your story. No, word, no, I don't but know. But comes th- over. John
0: Teese he's is this
1: skinny white guy.
3: Yeah, he, he was playing the dad uh-huh. in that scene. And he comes over. He's trying to keep the scene going. Oh, I, I never
1: knew
0: that.
3: <laughs> I went, I'm like, I'm It's over. <laughs>
0: Well, it was really funny doing that too. Is um, one John was dying. Um, is that I, I was over by him, the ambulance came. So it was like it wasn't long. It was like five or six minutes that John was semi-conscious on the floor, and I looked up because the, the whole audience was laughing. And Nia Vardalos had come out on stage and started doing stand-up, and they thought that, they forgot there was a dead guy on the floor. Like, like literally, they, they were all just laughing at Nia's stand-up, and then when John got taken out, they turned around for a second, went yay, and then went right back. Yeah. <laughs> But the John Hildreth hero part of this story is um, he was okay. like Pretty bruised up, but very, very lucky he was okay. And the next day he could do it. I think it was a Sunday night. It was a couple days later, right? Uh It was the next night. He got back on that zip line. And uh, I had both producers run over to me. 'Cause the zip line is over there and they couldn't really stop the scene. And like he's not gonna go down it again, is he? And like that's over. We're never doing that again. Like, oh, he's about ready to go down it right now. And so there you go. That's a trooper, guys. That's an improviser.
1: Well, you guys are both troopers. Thank you so much, John Hildreth, Norm Holly, thank you for being you. our guest.
0: Thank you guys.
1: Thank you guys for listening uh, on the podcast. And well, there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd. I want to thank our guest, Norm Holly from Second City, everyone here at Second City and the Training Center, and my producer, as always, Ben Caprero. And you, for listening. If you haven't gone to our Facebook page, please, please, please like Improv Nerd. It's great for my self-esteem. And for more information on me, Jimmy Corain, and Improv Nerd, and my 2012, any award-winning classes and workshops, go to jimmycorain.com. And check out our new website, Until next time, remember, walk, don't run.
0: Hello.